Welcome everyone to the Australian Bitcoin podcast. I'm Justin, your host, and today I'm joined by Zoe from smsfwarehouse.com.au to discuss buying and holding Bitcoin in a self-managed superannuation fund. But before we start, a quick word from our sponsor. The Australian Bitcoin podcast is brought to you by hardblock.com.au, Australia's first and oldest Bitcoin-only exchange. Hardblock aims to help their users save in hard money and to become self-sovereign Bitcoiners. Hardblock has no added fees on deposit, buy or sell transactions. So the prices are what you see or what you get. Sign up to Hardblock today using the discount link in the description below to receive free auto-send batched Bitcoin withdrawals for six months. All right, Zoe, how's it going? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And uh, thanks for taking the time to come on the podcast today. This is a topic that a lot of Bitcoiners tend to uh, to ask us about and ask each other about. So it's nice to get a professional on board to, uh, yeah, just discuss some of the nuance. So for people listening, could you perhaps just give a bit of your own personal and professional background um, after having joined Superannuation Warehouse, just in regards to, you know, I guess your qualifications and, and what you do there? Yeah, sure. So my name is Zoe. I'm from Superannuation Warehouse. Uh, so I work as uh, the accountant and auditor in, in this company. So uh, I have a Master of Accounting degree myself and just passed the ASIC Register SMSF Auditor exam. Um, so um, so I just I want to introduce our company a little bit. So we are a Melbourne-based um, company with clients throughout the whole Australia. We specialize in SMSFs and so we deliver very comprehensive range of SMSF services from setting up uh, new SMSFs, uh, carrying out all the accounting, tax and auditing services and um, right through to the uh, wind-ups of the self-managed super fund if required by the trustee. That's great. And what is the uptake like at the moment for people either setting up self-managed super funds for the purpose of buying and holding Bitcoin or even trying to, uh, I guess, convert an existing superannuation fund to be able to accept Bitcoin? Like, is there a is there an increase? Like, what's the trend there at the moment? If you can talk about that, I guess. Yeah, I would say it's definitely an emerging industry. Um, so more and more people will consider to uh, choose to have their own option to save their money for retirement. And so we, we get um, new clients like every week. Um, so at, yeah, I would say the industry is definitely emerging. Yeah, that's that's good to hear. That's uh, my understanding of it as well. The amount of queries we're getting around self-managed super funds. Um, and I've also gone down that process personally myself around a, a year or so ago. Well, I guess yes. for anyone who's not totally aware of what a self-managed super fund is, I prepared a definition, which I've just gleaned from a few other places. So I might just read that out and let me know if there's uh, any other nuance to add here. Yeah, so sure. a self, self-managed super fund which I'll probably try to start calling SMSF because it maybe it makes it a bit easier than repeating those words over and over. Um, but a self-managed super fund is a private superannuation fund that you manage yourself. So SMSFs are different to say industry or usual retail superannuation funds. For example, because you will manage your own super, the money that you would normally put into say like a retail or industry super fund, you would put into your own self-managed super fund. So you can then choose what investments uh, and what insurances the self-managed super fund might hold. And by going with a SMSF, you have a bit more flexibility in terms of what kind of assets you may hold. For example, you might put things like cryptocurrencies, specifically Bitcoin, or you might even put things like uh, precious metals um, or even property, things that might not be as easy to buy in a standard retail or industry superannuation fund. Yes. Does that that sound about right? Yes, that definite definition is very correct. So some some many super fund gives the uh, trustees the, the the freedom or the flexibility to choose the investment that they want to uh, use to save their money for for retirement. And uh, with more and more compliance requirements um, by the regulator uh, regulators, um, this is a little bit different from the uh, normal investment. Um, like uh, you use like. Uh, your your uh, after tax money to, to invest in shares, and this will also secure the money for for your retirement after many years. That's true. That's a good point. And you mentioned there that there's uh, some additional kind of regulatory requirements with self-managed super funds, which I'm thinking things like the sole purpose test, where it needs to be quite different to your say your personal money. 
uh, we'll probably get into that maybe in a bit more detail a little bit later on because I do have a point um, around just operating the fund and you know during audit time what things to consider. But I guess that's something for people to keep in mind too. Is there yeah. there is a bit more regulatory requirements and rigor that they might need to go through in terms of managing their own self managed super fund versus just having the the stock standard fund that they might get through um, their usual employment. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, um, to make this really practical for people, what I want to do is just talk through my own personal experience setting up a self-managed super fund recently as like a bit of a walkthrough. And in doing that, we can then talk a little bit about what are the other options that I could have taken. And we've got some queries from customers uh, and just general members of the community that I'll sprinkle throughout that as well for people to be aware of. Yeah. So I guess the very first step, obviously, would be uh, choosing a self-managed super fund I've just called them an administrator. So this could be an accountant who uh, operates with self-managed superannuation funds, or it could be an organization uh, such as yourself, superannuation warehouse. Yeah. And I, uh, at Hardlock, we're suggesting customers use uh, like a known uh, source. So we're suggesting people use superannuation warehouse as their go-to. Um, that's where we have a little bit of experience. You're coming on the show and, and giving some uh, information to customers as well. So generally, people are a bit confused about where they could go. There are a lot of organizations available um, as well as normal accountants. But yeah, we're suggesting to going uh, with self-managed superannuation warehouse. Is there any nuance people need to be aware of when choosing a self-managed super fund administrator, apart from what I've just mentioned? Yeah, yeah, you mentioned a good point. So when the trustee consider what kind of administrator they want, would like to use to man help to manage their self-managed super fund, they need to consider uh, many things such as their budget and their level of no knowledge uh, regarding to self-managed super fund and the time and the effort that they would like to dedicate to manage their self-managed super fund. So um, as you say, so there are typically two options for trustees, uh, either to choose with the normal accountant um, so most people will go to their personal accountant as they know a bit, uh, they are familiar with their uh, personal tax affairs um, so which they can use to manage their self-managed super fund but um, they need to uh, acknowledge that there are many uh, specific and complicated uh, compliance requirements when managing the self-managed super fund so the normal accountant may not aware may not uh, be aware of those uh, compliance which may give them some risk of uh, some breach of the uh, compliance man, compliance and um, uh, so another choice is like to choose some accounting firm like us who specify uh, um, uh, specialize in as self-managed super funds um, so we are very familiar with all the process uh, when managing the self-managed super funds and all the uh, compliance requirement so that will make the all the process much simpler to the trustees and another thing they need to uh, consider is what kind of investment they would like to have in their fund. They need to be aware that uh, aware of that uh, some of the accounting firm they limited uh, the investment they can have in the fund. Um, for uh, so uh, for su uh, superannuation warehouse, uh, we don't limit any investment they can choose, and uh, the whole process our company uses is fairly simple and straightforward. We um, use online um, process. Um, uh, we have a very reasonable and transparent um, price as well. I think those are all very good points. I ended up going with my personal accountant purely because he knew my, uh, I guess, just my personal taxes, my business taxes. So it seemed like a good step. Having said that, um, he clearly doesn't have as much information uh, available to him around things like Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies compared to, say, yourselves. So I think that is a, a very good learning in my own personal process. It's made the audit process at the end of year to come with uh, various delays and kind of both needing to explain and re-explain things to each other about kind of where Bitcoin is and, and how you custody it and how you can prove that. So, I, yeah, I kind of take your point there that going with, a um, say, a self-managed super fund specialist um, that doesn't have limitations on the type of uh, investments you can have, but also has, I guess, that specialist knowledge to make the process a bit easier um, at a cost-affordable rate is really important. 
Yes. Is it possible to, because this is a query that's come up, is it possible to change who manages or audits your self-managed superannuation fund if there's any difficulties in the, say, the first year of operation? Yeah, it definitely, they definitely can change their administrator. So like I, what I said, it's trustees' decision on what administrator they, they want to use and even uh, whether they, they want to use an administrator or not. Um, so um, it's very, um, we are very familiar with the process of taking on uh, existing self-managed super fund from other accountants. So uh, we, we we usually, we, we have a lot of clients like uh, um, have the request uh, to us to take on their fund. Um, so the cost that we take on the uh, existing fund is $475. So this would um, um, allow us to um, uh, to uh, contact the previous accountant for any ethical issues and uh, um, retrieve all the legal document and uh, financial data um, and to add the fund on our tax agent lessons. So the process is very simple and straightforward. Yeah, so that's, that's about it, yeah. That's about the process. That's great. And look, you just raised a, a good point there as well in terms of costs. So in terms of uh, superannuation warehouses costs, are they all available on the website pretty clearly delineated or is it worth maybe mentioning some of them now? You just mentioned the one of uh, if you're taking on an existing self-managed super fund, um, but obviously um, each year there's like an audit cost, there might be administration cost, there might be setup costs. Are those things kind of clearly displayed on the website or is it worth perhaps mentioning a few of them now if you have the, that information available? Uh, yes, I would say uh, our fee is very transparent. You can find out all the information on our website. Uh, like what I said, um, we do an online process. So also we uh, uh, really uh, frequently use the info on our website website as well. Um, the, so if you check on the superannuationwarehouse.com.au, you can find uh, a lot of useful information about self-managed super fund and the, all the costs um, for us to manage your funds you can find on the website as well. That's great. So I guess moving on to the next step, assuming people have chosen who they want to, uh, say, help set up their fund and perhaps even administer their fund. What happens, or at least what happened in my process, was uh, my accountant kind of collected the required details. He did most of this via email, so obviously got my name, um, uh, the other trustee's name, which happened to be my partner, um, our date of births, our addresses, our tax file numbers. Uh, he queried how he'd like to use the fund. So like what other investments would I like to make in the fund apart from say just Bitcoin? And then he kind of walked me through completing the documentation. So mentioning that we need to establish um, a deed to, uh, to even set up or establish the self-managed super fund in a legal way firstly. Uh, we needed to complete forms to appoint the two trustees and uh, we needed a formal fund investment strategy document as well. So that's the process that I went through. Um, I'm aware that as a little bit of nuance here or another option is that, so I've set it up as an individual or, or two individuals. Technically, you could have more than two individuals, but you can't have less than two individuals unless you set up, is it like a, a company or a corporation uh, and manage it through that way instead? Do I have yes. that kind of correct? Yes, that that's uh, that's true. Uh, so since you mentioned the structure of the fund, yeah, I would say it's very important before you set up your own self-managed super fund, you need to consider what kind of structure is uh, suitable for you. So like you, what is what you just said, uh, if you want to set up a self-managed super fund with uh, individual trustees, you would need to have at least two trustees in your fund, um, because that's the definition of fund. Um, so um, then you can have up to six members and six trustee in your fund as well and that means the trustee trustee's role is to manage the fund so any decision made in your fund will need to have uh, two trustees uh, cooperations um, so another option is to set up a corporate trustee uh, what we call and uh, so that means uh, you need to set up a company who act as the trustee of your fund and uh, then it will allow you to be the sole member and the sole director of the company. And so that means you can manage your fund yourself. You don't need to uh, consult with other people's opinions. Um, another advantage of having a corporate trustee is that um, because the company acts as the trustee of the fund, so all the liabilities will limit it um, to the, the company. And um, also there are certain circumstances that um, 
for example, if the trustee would like to have a loan from um, most of the bank or lenders, they will require the self-managed super fund to have a corporate trustee uh, in their fund. Yeah, that, does that make sense? Yes, it does. Absolutely. So it gives you some additional protections of, of kind of isolating things to the, the corporation. It uh, it gives you, I guess, a little bit more flexibility of not needing to have additional members so you can make the choices yourself. Uh, and also what you mentioned just there, if you say you wanted to get a loan for the self-managed super fund, banks will require you to have that corporate trustee anyway. Yes, so, most so it, of the it, bank will require that. Yeah. Gotcha. And is it possible to add a corporate trustee after the fact if you've already set it up as individual trustees? Yeah, absolutely. So if you set set up the fund initially with individual trustee, you can make the change of structure of your fund. So you can always like set up a company and uh, change the structure. And um, also you need to variate uh, the trustee for your, for your fund. So for that part, um, so uh, sorry. Um, do I need to mention the cost? <laughs> yeah, actually, I was about to say uh, that that was a point I was going to bring up is that we've talked about the benefits, but I, I, there was a, an additional cost to setting up a corporate trustee compared to uh, no additional cost, I guess, of setting up the individual trustees. So yeah, what what is the cost? Yes, yes, sure. So so initially, if you would like to set up a, a, a corporate trustee structure uh, of your sum and super fund with superannuation warehouse, we charge us um, $1,300 with the corporate trustee structure. And uh, if you want, would like to choose for the, if you want to go for the individual trustee structure, we charge us $350. So there's a, uh, so very interesting is if you would like to set up an individual trustee structure at the beginning and you um, decide to change the structure to corporate trustee, so we charge a, a fee of $950 to set up the corporate trustee structure and change the structure for your fund. And this fee will be tax deductible in your fund. But if if you um, set up the, uh, if this, so the setup fee at the beginning um, won't be tax deductible. Gotcha. That makes sense. So yeah, if, if people have set up individual trustees and then want to convert that extra fee, that 950 is tax deductible. And interestingly, that would end up being a little bit less in total compared to just setting it up with a corporate trustee to begin with, if I'm if I'm doing that maths correctly. 1300 versus 950 plus 300, just a slightly uh, less amount and also part of it's tax deductible. Uh, good to keep in mind. Yes, yes. Uh, the the total amount and to either set up like with a corporate trustee at the beginning or either set up later will be no difference. So it's either yeah, about the same. It's, yeah, yeah, thirteen hundred at the beginning or three hundred fifty and nine hundred fifty later. It's the total amount will be no different, but the nine fifty at the when you convert your structure to a corporate trustee will be tax deductible in your fund. Gotcha. That makes yeah. sense. Sorry. It, it, to begin with, I thought it was 300 for individuals. So I was thinking, okay, oh, you get a $50 less <laughs> if you do it later on. But yeah, that makes more sense for it to be about the same. <laughs> right, but at least right. one portion is tax deductible, which works quite well. Yes, yes. So a query that we often get is after after a fund is established, so let's assume that people have chosen whether they're going corporate trustee or individual, uh, they've given all the right details that they need, they've uh, they've chosen their investment strategy. People sometimes ask, like, are we allowed to change our investment strategy? So say if they've set up a self-managed superannuation fund and haven't put any kind of allowance in there for cryptocurrencies or, or Bitcoin and said, now we want to add something to the deed, is that possible to do? Is it possible to change that investment strategy and add something brand new to it? Yes, absolutely. So actually, the uh, the regulation actually requires the trustee in the Summage Super Fund to review the investment strategy regularly. So our process in in, um, in my company is like we will ask our trustee to review the investment strategy annually when we do the year end accounting. So that's the that's the point that you can consider uh, updating your investment strategy or well, anytime you think uh, you decide to add a new investment in your fund, you can update your investment strategy at, as well. So the, the point of an investment strategy is um, that it's a document for trustee to state what kind of investment they would like to have in their fund and uh, to uh, acknowledge that trustee has considered the risk and the diversification requirement and the insurance requirement uh, in the in in the document. So our way to 
ask our trustee to update the investment strategy is to give them a, a word uh, word version of template, uh, which can uh, which allow them to give us a quick update um, by editing the investment in the in the template. So it's it's a fairly uh, easy and straightforward process, I would say. Definitely, I think anything that can be uh, templatized in some way and just sort of follow the bouncing ball in terms of uh, going through a document. I think that makes people's jobs a lot easier, especially if they're new to things like superannuation, manage their own fund, that kind of thing. Yes, right. Another query that's come up, which was quite specific. So we had a customer who has set up a self-managed superannuation fund uh, with, with a SMSF administrator. And in their fund strategy, it's indicated that they can only buy cryptocurrencies from a specific exchange. That sounds a bit, um, I guess, very different to the process that I went through where we had an allowance for buying cryptocurrencies. It's really only Bitcoin that I'm buying, but there's a pretty broad allowance in there, but it never stipulated which exchanges I have to go to. Whereas this particular client is mentioning that it's written into his fund, he's only allowed to use a certain exchange. I guess I've sort of got a two-part question. Firstly, is that is that normal? And secondly, can that part be changed? can uh, not like the allocation amount or the percentage, but rather where it comes from, like which exchange you buy from, can that be removed from the strategy as well? Yeah, that's uh, that, that doesn't sound very normal as we don't, uh, in our company, we don't limit our clients to uh, which investment they need to have or what, what kind of platform or trading um, company that they should use in their fund. So like what I said, the point of the, the, the meaning of SMSF is the, that the trustee ha can have their own decision on what kind of investment they want to save for their retirement. So the ATO doesn't have uh, any restriction on the investment or even the exchange um, platform they have to use in their fund. So I would say it's not very normal, but I think it's um, uh, like what I said, there are some uh, companies that did restrict their clients to use um, certain uh, platform in their fund. I think it's just for their business purpose. Um, so regarding how to like if you can change it, change it, uh, whether you can change the exchange platform you use or not. Yeah, that's the answer is absolutely you can change the platform. But um, if you mention what kind of platform that you use in your investment strategy, you need to make sure when you're changing the platform, you need to update it on your investment strategy as well. So you need to make sure that all the uh, investment in your fund are allowed in the trust deed and the investment strategy. That makes a lot of sense. So I guess the take home points there is that it, it's not totally normal for that to happen, but it really depends on who the self-managed super fund administrator is because sometimes they do limit um, the offerings of either the type of investment or perhaps the platform it can be bought from and I guess if this particular client was keen to change that he might need to consider a different self-managed superannuation fund administrator with less of those restrictions uh, and also like you said to make sure that that's updated in the fund strategy to to remove that stipulation about what exchange it needs to come from yeah that's a good point so it, a query that we get around self-managed superannuation fund strategies as well is how can you justify or is it possible to justify a majority holding of Bitcoin? Um, some people have even said they want to set it up where it only holds Bitcoin. So the parts that I'm aware of here is that there is a diversification obligation for self-managed superannuation funds, which means you don't necessarily have to have a diversified fund, but you absolutely need to consider the risks of not diversifying. And so my understanding here is some of the risks of not uh, being diversified, say if we go with a really extreme example and people buy a property and the only thing that their self-managed superannuation fund holds is a, a property like a, a house. You know, properties are relatively illiquid. You know, you don't sell them very quickly if you do decide to sell them, perhaps if you need to cover costs or fees or um, or to cover uh, trustee payments or something along those lines. You also can't sell very small amounts of property. You have to sell the whole thing or, or nothing at all. And so I think in that extreme example, there is a lot of risks to someone, say, just buying a property with their self-managed superannuation fund, because it's hard to kind of rotate in and out if need be. Whereas, say, something like Bitcoin, people could actually perhaps make the argument that you can sell, you know, as down to small as one cent if you really wanted to, and if you needed to cover fees. Um, the market is quite liquid, probably for the, the quantities of Bitcoin that people would be uh, putting in there as well. 
um, and therefore it wouldn't ever impact your ability to cover costs. I guess other things people could keep in mind are things like the ages of the trustees. So if they're relatively young, an argument could be made perhaps that they're willing to have uh, additional risk in their self-managed superannuation fund, knowing that they're quite away from retirement. And yeah, I, I just wonder, is my explanation there, is that kind of making sense in terms of like rules and, and laws and regulations for self-managed superannuation fund? Uh, what's your opinion on people putting in like a, a very large majority holding in Bitcoin or even a full amount of Bitcoin? Is it even possible? And if so, how do they justify it? Yeah, I, I think uh, your uh, comment is very um, accurate that the ATO doesn't really restrict the um, trustee to have uh, to um have a single uh, asset class in their fund or not, or they don't uh, really force them to diversify their investment in the fund. Um, but they need to consider the diversification of the investment in their fund and the risk of not having the diversification. Um, so yes, like you said, and they need to consider the 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 operational cost in their funds so that means they need to have sort of a uh, uh, some sort of a cash flow uh, in their fund to pay for certain cost and they also need to consider the age of the trust trustee um, so um, whether they uh, when they will uh, meet the condition of release to the require uh, to the retirement that makes sense and so have you seen if this is something that you can disclose in an anonymous type way funds that have come through superannuation warehouse that have had an allocation to cryptocurrencies you know up to 80 or 90 percent have you seen something like that in practice or is this more of just like a, a theoretical thing that we know is possible and justifiable but maybe it doesn't happen that often um yes i, I would say definitely possible uh, i've seen uh, some of the clients uh, putting a majority of their fund in cryptos or uh, um, or like you and um, the, the example you just made um putting their majority of money in property and keep some cash aside for the operational uh, purpose and the expenses for the investment so that's that's definitely a very a common cases when managing submarine super fund that's good to hear that's my personal experience as well i haven't had any problem justifying that but i have heard a lot of uh i guess fears in the community people believing that they have to have if they're going to have say something like bitcoin they can only have up to about 10 or 20 percent and the rest of it still needs to be uh stocks or cash deposits or bonds or those sort of things which was not my understanding at all but it's just good to clarify that so thank you yeah so the the point of the self-managed super fund is that the trustee can have the flexibility to choose what kind of investment they they, they would like to have in the um in uh, investing their super so um there's no not um like a uh, ATO don't uh, have a like a big restriction on what kind of investments they have to uh, have in their fund. That, that's good to know. All right, so I guess moving on to the next point of this uh, this walk through this process. Let's assume people have they've chosen an SMSF administrator or someone to help set up their fund. They've chosen whether they're going with individual trustees or a corporate trustee. Um, they've provided all the details. They have chosen their investment strategy, at least their initial one. And now that the steps that I went through after that was setting up a separate self-managed superannuation fund bank account, one that wasn't associated with my uh, individual identity, but rather was set up in the name of the fund using um, the fund's tax file number. Uh, and my fund has a, an Australian business number as well, which I had to use for that. So that's a pretty straightforward process, I guess. Um, I'm assuming most major banks will offer uh, bank accounts that are applicable for self-managed superannuation funds. I just went with ComBank. They had a, a cash deposit or it's called like a CDIA and that was easy enough to do. I was able to sign up within about 20 or 30 minutes online. Um, is there other particular banks that superannuation warehouse uh, recommends or suggests or just has the easiest process with? Um, so um, our our clients have their own can have their own options on what kind of uh, bank uh, bank uh, they would like to go for. Um, but uh, our process is like we give our trustees option to set up a Macquarie uh, cash management uh, account, uh, and we can help with the the application of the bank account for free for them. Um, so. Then it's it will be a like very simple process for them. So they just need to uh, they will 
basically receive an email from the Macquarie bank account and just complete the application, give the authority, and uh, the bank account. We basically just set up the bank account for them. Um, so, but like what I said, they have the freedom on what kind of um, bank account they would like to use. Just need to make sure the bank account need to be set up and the, the funds name and need to be separate from their personal uh, bank account and other uh, credit cards or something like that. That makes a lot of sense. Does Macquarie bank accounts, are they linked in with any kind of uh, sort of shares or trading platform? Uh, the reason I ask is uh, the ComBank one is hooked in pretty easily with the, the ComSec account. I don't hold a whole lot of shares, but um, I did want the ability to be able to do that in a pretty easy way with my self-managed superannuation fund too. So having both of those kind of linked together, the bank account and the share trading account made that easy. I'm not really familiar with Macquarie Bank too much, but do they have something similar to that or a relatively easy step to link a like a share trading account with that too? Yes, so Macquarie Bank is very similar to the Commonwealth one. Uh, so they have their own uh, trading account, which is called online trading. So normally, if the trustee requires it, uh, we will set it up all together um, for them as well. So the uh, trading account will link to their cash management management account. So as far as I know that um, if you have a Macquarie cash uh, account, you can also link it to other trading accounts. But um, I think more um, what kind, sort of platform you can use, um, in, it depends on Macquarie's um, policy. That makes sense. But I, yeah, I'd assume most of them are, are relatively comparable if it's a share trading account. But just good to know that there's an option there for people as well if yes. they went with Macquarie. So the next step for me after setting up a bank account, which would then allow me to roll over my superannuation fund in it, um, as in my existing one, but I'll, I'll get to that in just a second. The next thing I did was uh, I set up a an exchange account. So I've set up an, an account with Hardblock. It was as simple as, because I already had a personal account with them, is just setting up a separate account uh, with a different email address and then contacting Hardblock. And they, behind the scenes, uh, give me an extra form that says, you need to provide all your self-managed superannuation fund details on this form. And then they go and update my account behind the scenes to make it quite clear that it's um, a self-managed superannuation fund exchange account quite separate to my personal exchange account with them. Is there any, any nuances there that are good to keep in mind when uh, undertaking that process, apart from just making sure that it's very clear that this is a exchange account um, for the fund in particular, not yourself personally? Yes. So uh, I would say setting up a, ex a Bitcoin exchange account will be similar to setting up a bank account. Um, so just need to make sure it's under the fund's name and don't mix up with your personal assets. And uh, when uh, setting up a, a, a trading account, uh, they might require a certified trustee or other documents and even sometimes they require an accountant letter to uh, confirm the structure of the fund so we can we provide that service uh, free of charge we can certify the trustee for our client and um, provide an accountant letter uh, to con confirm certain details that require to in, in setting up the account excellent that's good to know the steps after that that I took were, uh, I, I kind of alluded to it just before, is rolling over my existing superannuation fund into my self-managed superannuation fund. Um, so the process there was just requesting a form from my existing superannuation fund. Um, it wasn't made available on the website publicly. I found interesting. You have to contact them specifically to get it. Uh, and then going through the process, there was a few forms there. I needed to verify my identity a couple of times. Um, they use snail mail, so you have to send it in, and then you wait a couple of weeks. They then liquidate the account and then roll over the, uh, the the amount that I disclosed, which was the full amount, into my self-managed superannuation fund. So I assume that's probably going to be very similar for most people, depending on what they have set up already. Um, I, I know a lot of people have a scattering of superannuation funds, perhaps from various different employments, and this might be a good opportunity to consolidate those things if they haven't done so already. Yeah, is there any other points people need to consider when rolling over their existing super into the self-managed superannuation fund if they choose to do that? Because they, they don't have to. They can keep separate funds if they, they wanted to. Yes, right. So uh, a thing that I need to mention that is after you set up and initiate the setup of your fund, you need to, uh, there, there will be a waiting time before the ATO uh, register your fund as complying. Um, so that uh, processing time normally will be uh, up to 28 business days, uh, depending 
on how uh, how long that ATO need to process the fund. So after the fund is registered, you can initiate the rollover, like you said. Uh, some of the retail fund they provide a very easy um, process to transfer the benefit, but some other funds, you probably need to provide them a rollover benefit statement and to initiate the rollover. So on the superannuationwarehouse.com.au, we provide a page and a, also a template of the rollover statement that you can use. It's a standard version from the ATO. You can basically just download that template, fill it up, and then send it to your uh, retail uh, or industry fund and we also provide a guidance um, on how to um, how to do the whole process so another thing need to um, be mentioned is that there's a new requirement for the ESA um, when you transfer the benefit um, between uh, self-managed super fund uh, and the other retail and industry fund have you ever heard of the ESA no I don't think so what is that um, so ESA, so uh, that means uh, that's called uh, electronic service address. It's basically like an uh, electronic code that uh, ATO uses to verify the details of your fund when they um, transfer, when you transfer the funds between self-managed super fund and other retail fund. So now they require that if you want to roll over any funds, so you need to register an ESA. So what our process is that we, after we set up the fund, we will register our client's fund with an ESA company called Worker SMSF. And so we will register it for free for them, but the ESA company will charge a fee, which is very, uh, which is very nominal fee. It's cost like thirty nine dollar ninety five cents, including mm. excluding GST per annum. So that will allow you you tr roll over the funds between. Uh, SMSFs or other uh, retail funds, and also it, it will be required when you do the employer contribution as well. Gotcha. And so what is the benefit of an ESA? That sounds like it's something relatively new. Is it just to help identify the funds uh, more specifically to then make the rollover process easier? Or yeah, well, yeah what's the benefit of it? Um, it's not like benefit is a requirement by the ATO. So now, <laughs> uh, yeah. I so, like the way you put that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, probably because when you start the rollover with the fund, it, it's still not, uh, it wasn't a requirement by the ATO, but now they require this. So if now you don't have an ESA in your fund, you can't transfer the money between your retail fund and self-managed super fund. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, I guess a new point here to introduce is if you're making a brand new contribution. So some users might decide to either not roll over an existing fund into the self-managed super fund, um, or I guess they might decide to do that. And in addition, they might put in some new money as well, which is a new contribution. What is the process there? Because I imagine it's slightly different. You need to disclose that you're going to make a contribution. That way, when it gets to the end of financial year reporting, there's like a clear delineation that this is money that you're putting in, not from another super fund, but it's from your own personal account after tax. Therefore, you need some sort of tax benefit from it. Yeah. How does that work exactly? Yes. So so that's, uh, we call it personal concessional contributions. So that means you have your after tax money in your personal account and you want to contribute it to your summage super fund. And it will be, ta you, you, uh, it's trustee's decision to whether they would like to uh, just contribute a non-concessional or just concessional, which means it will be taxed in the fund by 15%. And then they can claim a tax deduction in their personal tax return. So, so we will require them to fill up a, a form called intent to uh, claim and take tax deduction um, in their uh, personal tax. Um, so in the form, you need to provide us like how much is the consensual contribution you would like to uh, claim in your personal tax. And um, we, we, we will require that form and you will also need to provide that form to your personal accountant. And so they will deduct the tax from your personal tax account uh, accordingly. That makes sense. I guess as a, uh, just a question off the top of my head here, do you also at superannuation warehouse do personal accounting services to say if people want to just like a one-stop shop someone who's aware of all of their uh, sort of comings and goings in terms of self-managed super fund or, or personal finances and taxes like is, is it possible to do that or do you just focus on superannuation funds yeah unfortunately we don't do personal tax for our clients we 
want to specialize in the SMSF industry and we focus on it as well. That makes sense. And either way, it sounds like uh, whatever forms, whatever reports are required to then provide to an accountant at the end of year, that's already done anyway um, through your management of the self-managed superannuation fund for clients. So that's still good. Yes. I guess another point here or another step here that I would take after rolling over the existing funds, after they've arrived, I went through a process of planning, like how was I intending to, uh, to custody the Bitcoin? So was I going to keep it on an exchange? Or was it going to actually put it in, say, like a hardware wallet myself? So that's something for users to consider. I looked at this in terms of risk. So I don't want to have an exchange holding Bitcoin because there is a counterparty risk. Exchanges holding things like Bitcoin are not quite the same as a bank holding money in the sense that they're not insured for that Bitcoin. So if that gets lost or hacked or stolen or the exchange goes bankrupt or something along those lines, there isn't the assurances from my understanding that your say your Bitcoin amount would then be uh, returned to you. So there is a bit of a third party risk with keeping it on an exchange, although perhaps that might make some of the reporting requirements a bit easier because you can just get, say, a report from the exchange at the end of financial year about how much Bitcoin you hold. It verifies that. It says how much it's worth, etc. I went with putting it in a hardware wallet instead, which means I'm self-custodying it. Um, in my mind, that's more secure. Uh, but then that means that I do need to keep more rigorous methods, uh, records, sorry, as well as prove at the end of financial year uh, reporting and auditing phase that I still have custody of that Bitcoin. So that's just a point for people to consider some of the pros and cons in regards to, uh, yeah, after they buy some Bitcoin, where do they want to keep it? Are they keeping it themselves? Is the, is the exchange keeping it for them? Um, or they are they even using another type of um, third-party custody service, uh, which is sort of starting to pop up around the place? Um, I'm not sure if that if you have anything to to add there, but I guess it's just a point that people need to consider. Like, how are they going to store their Bitcoin? Where are they going to store it? And what are the pros and cons of each? Yes, yes, you're right. So they need to consider um, the risk of uh, what 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 way they want to hold their cryptos. So, like what you said. Um, Probably holding uh, in uh, cryptos in an offline uh, wallet will um, uh, reduce the risk uh, of um, uh, cyber attacks, and that will make them lose their their, their, their bitcoins. Um, but um, they also need to uh, consider the um, procedure or the plan that how they secure their uh, bitcoin in the in the cold wallet as well. Um, so we we actually have many clients that hold their um, uh, have a cold wallet for their bitcoins, um, but um, like uh, which is very funny that we have a client who um, lost the USB and the password of the to to access the Bitcoin in their wallet mm. that can be a big risk as well. Absolutely, I, I think we have other podcast episodes that talk about the kind of hardware wallets that you might consider, as well as how to back those things up because it's really important to not just have it on the hardware wallet. You should be having, uh, say, your seed phrase, and if you use a passphrase as well, written down or pressed into steel or put in an encrypted vault somewhere if you're storing it, preferably not actually online, but storing it, say, on another USB. Um, I guess the point here is like have backups. Don't just have it in the uh, the cold storage device and just assume that's going to be fine because you could lose that. You could drop it in water. It could be compromised in some sort of way. So you want to have backups. Yeah, that's it's a very good point. Yeah. And again, something for people to consider, you know, having an exchange manage it for you does take away some of that um, that self-risk. But then, of course, you're just you're trusting the third party that they're not going to have a mishap with it as well. Whereas you're right, you take it on board yourself. You kind of only have yourself to blame. But at the same time, yeah, you need to be very careful about that, the protocol of how you secure it. I guess the other things here were... Uh, buying Bitcoin from an exchange, making sure you keep a record of it, uh, as well as if you do self-custody your Bitcoin and you withdraw it from the exchange to also keep a record of that, as in when did you buy, how much uh, in terms of Bitcoin uh, denomination, as well as uh, what was the Bitcoin price at the time, um, as well as time and date would be good as well. In terms yes. of uh, both when you buy or if you sell um, or with, when you withdraw. And so having an exchange that will provide statements to that effect um, makes that process much easier, which Hardblock, we can do email statements per transaction or every month or financial year. Um, you can also just go in and download a spreadsheet that explains um, your, your statements in terms of buy, sells and withdrawals as well. Yeah, that's true. So from the from an auditor's perspective, so they will require um, uh, the records of any transaction when you um, 
when you buy or dispose, uh, even transfer the cryptos. So, um, and you, trustees need to make sure that they keep the records um, for up to five years for all the transactions associated with acquiring, holding, and disposing of the cryptocurrencies. And uh, another thing I want to add up is, um, so um, having um, an exchange platform that provides you uh, end of year and uh, end of financial year statement it's very it's much uh, easier for for trustees because the auditor will require the uh, market valuation of the bitcoins or other crypt cryptos that you hold in the fund at the year end and it must be evaluated uh, at the market rate Absolutely. That is a, a very good point, actually, because say if someone self-custodies their Bitcoin, then, of course, the exchange wouldn't be able to provide a, a statement to that effect at the end of the year because the exchange no longer holds the Bitcoin for that particular customer. So what what is done? Um, I, I personally just went through the audit process and all I did was take the price from a very prominent exchange at the close of business at the end of financial year and multiplied that by the amount of Bitcoin that I had to get the total. And that, that was accepted. That was put into um, to the auditor's report. Is there a better way to do that? Um, I'm, I'm guessing what, when someone self-custodies, what is the process there? Because they can't really get the exchange to verify their Bitcoin value because the exchange no longer has it, if that makes sense. Yes. So regarding the audit process of Bitcoins, um, so their auditor basically want to uh, confirm three things. Uh, so one is uh, the ownership that the fund has the legally enforceable ownership over the cryptos they hold. Uh, so for that part, um, so basically if if they can provide a screenshot or a PDF version of the wallet, uh, and it can show the wallet is under the fund's name, um, so the, it will be uh, sufficient for the audit process. Um, if they cannot provide such such uh, proof, um, um, auditor may require them to have a statutory declaration um, to um, confirm that the, the wallet is solely and wholly used by the self-managed super fund. So that's for the ownership part. Another thing is that they need to uh, make sure that um, the wallet is not mixed up with the other assets, uh, such as personal um, held cryptos. So for that part, uh, so the auditor um, in our company normally will check the um, Bitcoin address and to reconcile the Bitcoin address uh, from the exchange trading uh, and transfer history and uh, to the wallet, um, uh, the, the statement out of the wallet. So we want to make sure that every single crypto that you transfer from your exchange uh, trading account held by the SMSF will be received um, in the wallet held by the SMSS as well. So let's make sure that everything um, in the SMSF are kept in the SMSF as well. That makes sense. So yeah, there's probably a few good points there in terms of that sole purpose test. So making sure that if you have a cold wallet or like a hardware wallet for your uh, self-managed super fund um, Bitcoin, you use a separate hardware wallet and a, and a hardware wallet that is bought probably even better with a self-managed super fund, I guess, cash or, or funds. You don't want to be using your personal hardware wallet. You want to have it quite separate as well as similar to having like a separate bank account, a separate exchange account. So keeping that clear delineation. Um, yes. And I guess the, the other important points there were, yeah, if you've withdrawn from the exchange to make it very clear where that's gone. So what receiving address is it in? And either providing, like you said, a screenshot of the wallet itself to prove that it's there. Or I guess because Bitcoin is a, a public transparent blockchain, um, what I did was I just provided um, a few blockchain explorers, which are publicly verifiable, that includes the receiving address that I withdrew my Bitcoin to. So it's quite clear, this is how much I bought. This is when I withdrawn from the exchange, which is verifiable with exchange statements. And then here's a public um, blockchain entry that proves that that's the case. Yes, yes. So um, many uh, clients make uh, mistakes of mixing their uh, personal cryptos with uh, the crypto they held by the, the fund. So um, we, we, norm uh, we recently have a case that um, the client, um, so they set up um, the personal trading account on an exchange platform when they didn't allow to set up a some many super fund account. So then they purchase some crypto and then once the 
website allow them to set up a funds account, they set up a funds account, but then they transfer the crypto from their personal to the self-managed super funds uh, trading account. So this and this is a case that the auditor may raise queries and may qualify the report. And the, the trustee was arguing, arguing about if they can treat it as a contribution into the self-managed account, but it's not allowed because um, you can't make in-species uh, contribution in the format of crypto into your account. So what you can do is you can dispose the crypto in your personal account and transfer, transfer the cash into the your SMSF and then you know purchase uh, crypto in your funds uh, trading account. Yes, that makes sense. So like selling your personal crypto and then uh, making like a concessional or non-concessional contribution to the self-managed super fund and then turning it back to whatever. I say crypto and people are going to probably have a go at me. So I'll just say Bitcoin instead. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not sure, I'm not sure if you're aware of the distinction between the two. Um, maybe I'll ask you that towards the end, your own personal opinion on, on Bitcoin or crypto, but uh, I'll leave that there for now. But yeah, very good point. Like you, you can't mix the two together. They need to be quite distinctly separate, yeah. self-managed super fund and personal uh, funds, whether it's yeah crypto or cash. Yeah. I, I had a query, um, I guess not totally important, but more a personal interest. So when it comes to verifying the ownership of, uh, say, Bitcoin at the end of year audit report, I was curious how this would be done. So uh, initially, my accountant said, ah, look, they might just get you to take a picture of your uh, your hardware wallet, which doesn't make any sense for anyone who knows anything about hardware wallets, because you could just buy a hardware wallet and not actually have any Bitcoin in it. And of course, the Bitcoin's not actually in it. It's, it's a bit more technical, but taking a photo of the hardware wallet doesn't prove anything. Um, I, I would say even what you mentioned there of uh, taking a screenshot of a wallet, um, to me, that's very easily forgeable. That doesn't really prove a whole lot. But I, I understand if that's what the requirement is, that's fair enough. What the auditor ended up asking me to do was to provide my receiving address and then to provide the public key which corresponds to that receiving address. So the public key would have been something that's secret because that's not um, you know, easily derived. Like you can't take the receiving address and derive the public key, but you can take the public key and derive the receiving address. So this is a way for me to prove that I have something that no one else does about that receiving address without, of course, providing the private key, which would then give ownership to the auditor of my Bitcoin. So they essentially just got me to prove that I had the public key. What I'm curious about is, do auditors know how to then derive the receiving address from the public key? Like, is there a software or an application that auditors use as a standard process to be able to derive receiving addresses from the public key? I'm sorry if that's getting technical, but does that make sense, my question? Uh, yes. So our process is normally like uh, we... So probably the easiest way is that the uh, client can provide us the receiving address uh, in their wallet and we will reconcile with the, uh, the their trading account. Um, so, um, or another way we do is like, we will require the trustee to provide us an, um, a statutory declaration um, to um, declare that the, the wallet is solely held by the fund. Gotcha. So it's, it's more like... Uh... It's a, it's a trust system, obviously, and a statutory declaration. If you lie on that, I think it's like a two-year or three-year prison sentence or something. So that's it kind of keeps everything pretty above board if you sign a stat deck to say that you have withdrawn Bitcoin to this receiving address and that all kind of matches up with the exchange trading account and with the withdrawal receiving address, et cetera. Yeah, yes. that's, that's interesting. It sounds like things are done a little bit differently between auditors because, yeah, my auditor was quite clear about he needs the public key belonging to the receiving address, probably because I didn't still have the Bitcoin in an exchange and maybe because that's the way that that auditor uh, goes about things. I'm, I'm not sure if um, you're aware, but it's actually possible to sign a receiving address with a private key. That doesn't give away the private key, but it signs it with a verifiable and unforgeable signature essentially which would prove with beyond a shadow of a doubt that you actually have ownership of that bitcoin you have the private key um, i think that's probably pretty sophisticated for most users of bitcoin uh, and I, I would sort of hazard a guess it might be more sophisticated than what most auditors are sort of up to scratch with too but it looks like i would say in future there's probably going to be multiple ways to, to prove that ownership yes yes that's that's an interesting point um uh, we probably will as you say, this is an emerging uh, industry. We may update our process with 
like according to the uh, changes of different weight of uh, audit, uh, audit process. I had a, a query about the audit process as well. Is it normal for an auditor to make a comment about believing that cryptocurrencies shouldn't be in self-managed superannuation funds, even though that's not a qualified report that they're making, more just a, an, a, an opinion or a comment in a management letter? Is that a, is that a normal thing? Um, we believe that so the auditor should give opinion on the um, financial status and the compliance of the fund, but we don't. Uh, the auditor shouldn't give like advice on um, if the trustee should or should not invest in crypto in the fund. So I would say uh, we don't have this. We don't show this opinion uh, in our management letter. Um, yes. So. That's, yeah. that's good to know because my auditor did. My auditor said he believes cryptocurrencies are incredibly volatile and in his opinion, they do not deserve a place in self-managed superannuation funds just right towards the end. But then also said everything else was completely compliant with the things that he's meant to be checking. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I found that quite interesting. And I, uh, I thanked him for, for his free and unsolicited financial advice that he's probably not qualified to make. <laughs> but uh, yeah. it's good to know that. I think if you're uh, dealing with a self-managed super fund administrator that specializes in cryptocurrency and, you know, particularly Bitcoin in my case, you probably wouldn't be getting comments made like that. Um, I guess that's the message I'm getting here as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So as, as I said, um, the, the, the auditors normally have the flexibility on what kind of their opinion, even what, what kind of uh, proof of document they, they would like to um, they would like to see when, uh, can, when confirm certain investment in the self-managed super fund. So, so because we have a um, large amount of self-managed super fund and that we manage have the have cryptos in their funds. So we think it's a very common thing uh, when people uh, invest crypto in their fund. So yeah, we don't have that um, opinion. As long as it's allowed in the um, compliance documents in the trusted and investment strategy and it's allowed um, by the ATO, uh, we think you can have the option to either invest it or not. Absolutely, that makes sense. As long as it's all sort of in line with how the fund is set up and it's in line with uh, like Australian laws and regulation, it's sort of, as you've said before as well, given it is a self-managed super fund, the whole benefit is the flexibility to invest in what the trustees would prefer to invest in, as long as it fits their, uh, you know, the individual circumstances in regards to risk and diversification and, and so forth. Yeah, good point. Well, that's, that's really most of the questions that I had for you just in regards to the, uh, the process of setting up operating and even that audit process towards the end of the year uh, we've answered all the questions that people had proposed to us specifically um, and so thank you for that is there any other points that you you think that we should have covered that we haven't or anything else specifically on this sort of end of financial year reporting side of things or auditing side of things that we haven't covered yet um, so one thing I probably will add on uh, about investing in crypto in your fund is like you need to consider the tax impl implications uh, of trading crypto. So um, the uh, fluctuation of value of crypto in your fund won't trigger any tax implications. But if you uh, dispose or even swap the cryptos to other um, kind of coins, it will trigger the CGT, the capital uh, gain tax. And uh, so which is taxed by 15% in the self-managed super fund. Um, but if you have um, held the investment for over 12 months in your fund, so they will have a discount on the CGT. So that will be taxed at 10% in, in your fund. That's a good point. I know some people also stake there. I guess you could, this is possible with Bitcoin, but definitely other cryptocurrencies, they stake it. And by staking it, they would earn rewards, which could be paid daily, weekly, monthly. Um, I assume those rewards would be a capital gains tax event as well as the income is generated rather than when it's sold, if that makes sense. Yes, yes, that's absolutely right. That's good. Good to know. Yes. Well, I guess that's yeah, that's all the questions that I had. Um, I guess a, a question that I alluded to a little bit earlier is that, uh, well, firstly, do you own any Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies? If, you, if you're willing to disclose that, of course. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I don't have a, a Bitcoin investment myself, um, but I'm definitely curious about this whole uh, industry. I would say, yeah, you mentioned that um, the difference between Bitcoin and other cryptos. So from like, because I work in the SMSF industry, I would say 
the price of Bitcoin because um, people has been trading in Bitcoin for longer time than other cryptos, other coins. And the, the value of Bitcoin is uh, in the open market. Uh, so that will give um, a simple a simpler uh, process for all the SMSF to uh, as the in the year end process to value their investment in the fund. That's true. That's right. And I, I think people that are really into Bitcoin, uh, which was the original, I guess people don't like calling it a cryptocurrency, but it, it pretty much is. Uh, Bitcoin was the original one. And, and since then, there's been many what's called either forks of it or people trying to uh, develop a brand new one. I think there's something more like 20,000 other cryptocurrencies now. And the people that are really into Bitcoin, they see it as a new type of money. So they see it as something that's scarce, unforgeable. Uh, it's censorship resistant. Um, it's completely decentralized in regards to uh, how it's run. Um, so that's it's kind of very difficult or near impossible to shut it down. Um, there's also no central banks or government authorities that are controlling the supply of it, uh, which is kind of the problem that Bitcoin is trying to fix in regards to the existing monetary system, having a lot of that, you know, control supply inflation, which leads to price inflation, etc. This is the thesis of Bitcoin. Um, how that differs from other cryptocurrencies is other cryptocurrencies are not trying to be money. They're usually trying to be um, something quite specific. Uh, so they have a very specific use case. So a lot of people see them as perhaps like a, a venture capitalist um, playground where we're trying to develop some new technology, um, kind of like looking for a problem um, and having a solution for it, but not quite finding that problem yet. And some of these other cryptocurrencies might actually do very well in the long run. Um, they might discover uh, a new problem that needs to be fixed. I guess where most uh, Bitcoin has come at it is that we know that there's a problem with the money. Um, I'm not sure if you agree with that, but uh, this is where most Bitcoin has come at it from. So they see that Bitcoin is kind of fixing that problem. Whereas a lot of the other, well, 20,000 cryptocurrencies, it's not clear what problem that they're trying to fix um, because they're not generally decentralized. They're not generally scarce. Some of them are easily forgeable or easily corrupted in a way, which means they're not going to be a good money. And I guess that's where most Bitcoiners think of it in terms of that very difference is that Bitcoin is money and cryptocurrencies are um, kind of like stocks or shares, but without the without a lot of the regulation and transparency that comes with stocks and shares. I'm not yes. sure if that helps at all in terms of a, a way to describe the two of them. There's a lot more to it than that. Um, there's some very intelligent people that say if you've done about a thousand hours of research into Bitcoin specifically, you start to scratch the surface in terms of what it is um, and what it solves. And uh, I think it just makes it a bit easier as well for people to to be able to focus on one rather than be waylaid by the, the 20,000 other options that they could possibly go with. Some of them are as new as having just started a couple of days ago and some of them have a, a couple of years experience behind them. But um, yeah, I guess if you ever decide to get into it, I would say focus on Bitcoin first. And once you've done a thousand hours and once you and I have had more conversations about Bitcoin, <laughs> if you want to dabble in other cryptocurrencies, which we call shit coins, <laughs> you can feel free to do it. <laughs> but I'd, I'd, I'd love to talk to you more about Bitcoin if you ever go down that path. So hopefully with enough exposure to people investing in Bitcoin through self-managed superannuation funds, it, uh, yeah, it piques your interest because it's a, it's a very interesting interesting industry and a very interesting um what we call like a rabbit hole to go down to kind of understand what bitcoin is and and what problems does it fix yes yes so uh from my personal view um i would say because bitcoin has uh like longer um history and more stable background so if i would like to invest in some something in a crypto in a long term uh in a long term wise i probably will choose bitcoin um but m many people would like to take the risk and they, they have they are more risk uh, tolerant they probably will go for like try the other cryptos yes you're absolutely right and what what we do at hardlock is we just we focus on bitcoin um and we focus on what's called like dollar cost averaging or saving in bitcoin so although we have features where people can sell their bitcoin we normally suggest you buy and you hold and you set aside a small amount you set aside like one percent of your salary or five percent or ten percent whatever your risk appetite is and you just gradually accrue more and more and that that makes reporting requirements easier that makes keeping track of things and securing it much easier as well um, but as you say there are we do have a lot of clients that say why don't you sell other shit coins or why don't you sell other cryptocurrencies as they would probably actually say it um, because their appetite for risk is a bit higher and they want to dabble in other things yes. well if you 
if you ever start going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole and you're ever keen to uh, to run past, you know, ideas past someone or ask any questions, please reach out to me. I'm always happy to talk about those kind of things. And yeah, otherwise, thank you very much for uh, kind of providing a bit of the nuance today and some technical details. I think this is demystified the whole process of like setting up, managing and, and auditing a self-managed super fund uh, really well. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much too. Um, so um, maybe as a, a, a disclosure that uh, if anyone's interested in uh, setting up their own SMSF or even they already have an SMSF, they're welcome to um, browse our website uh, at superannuationwarehouse.com.au. Um, basically, everything we just talked about, you can find the information on our website as well. We, we provide a very comprehensive uh, and detailed website um, that you can find out most uh, the info uh, uh, to manage your self-managed super fund. And, um, and you can always contact us um, from the website or our email and, and, and phone number as well. Absolutely. I will link to the websites in the show notes as well. And they have been very helpful for myself too. There's a lot of good guides on there. And we've got our own walkthrough. So a lot of what I've talked about today is actually in an article, like a written document. So if people want to go back and, and check over that, um, that's already linked to the Self-Managed Superfund Warehouse website as well. So if people just see that article, um, they can already find yeah, Superannuation Warehouse from there. Uh, and if not, I'll yeah, I'll chuck it in the, the description for this podcast episode as well. Yeah, no problem. Cool. Well, thanks again, Zoe. You enjoy the rest of your day. And yeah, if anyone's got any queries, reach out to Superannuation Warehouse or you can reach out to, to Hardlock if it's specifically about Bitcoin or something in this podcast. Yeah, we're more than happy to help. Okay. Thank you, Justin. No worries. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. And uh, until next time.